hey, it's Simcha, good moed, or whatever the applicable greeting is for you, whenever it is that you decide to listen. Wherever you are, whatever you might be doing, whoever you may be, it's great to be in your eardrums again. Back in 2002, someone named Stephanie Schach published an insightful report for Vanderbilt University about, you guessed it, Japan's lack of representation in the Nobel Prize for Science in the latter part of the 20th century. I know, most of you assumed I was going there, right? But hear me out. The synopsis was that for a country with a strong economy and a surplus of PhDs, Japan at the time seemed to have a surprisingly low proportion of Nobel Prizes. The author described Japan's regimented way of looking at scientific problems that was only exacerbated by a very narrow recruitment pool. For example, most of the universities simply hired their own PhD students to be the science professors and the researchers, and then these students turned associates turned researchers would remain at that same university for decades. So with such unchanging research personnel, their thought processes and approaches were consequently very homogenous as well. And if that wasn't enough, culturally, disagreements in scientific theory or approach were deemed to be disrespectful, as if it's an insinuation that you are incorrect or less credible. These were deemed as attacks, and therefore were shot down, making it even less likely for outsiders to influence their approaches. So with such a narrow, rigid, recycled pool of thinkers, the benefits that generally come with collaboration were lost. What seemed to be so helpful and successful in Western science was collaboration, support, communication, and independence of ideas. Here's the nimshal. I'm not a preacher, and you, my valued listeners, are not my flock. I want to bring up some concepts in this bonus episode that have to do with music marketing or music business approaches. I am in absolutely no way implying that people in Jewish music do this and shouldn't be, or that people aren't doing this and should be, or anything of that sort. I would like to generate some discussion, though, and hear different angles. I would love to hear your opinions and insights, whether as a Jewish music lover, consumer, supporter, creator, or all of the above. Maybe you have an insight as a business mind or as a people's person. My spiel today is a bit of a presentation, but it is not meant to be a lecturing session or a musr schmooze by any means. As always, feel free to reach out to me at simcha.tpta at gmail.com. I'll be looking forward to hearing from you either way. But before we get to my spiel for this episode, da-da-da-da-da-da! our newest fake sponsorship segment. Firstly, a special thank you to the Z family. That's Chimpan, Tappan, and Yoni. Okay, now for our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Senders Stenders, Fradles Dradles, Niccolos Piccolos, and Herschel's Commercials. Of course, if you have a product or a service that you would like mentioned, if you're the opportunistic type who would like to benefit from my dynamic personality and attentive listenership, that would be simcha.tpta at gmail.com. Once again, I'm looking forward to hearing from you either way. As mentioned in the intro, 
one of the underlying themes of this podcast is for us to get to know these budding Jewish music personalities a little better, uh, to find out who they are, what makes them unique, and what they're trying to accomplish with their current musical endeavors. And truthfully, these are all vital questions for the artists to ask themselves constantly. Number one, who are you? Not only who you are not. Now, there is merit sometimes in knowing who you are not. I mean, that could even be a main trigger of motivation for you if, say, you are intentionally veering away from certain tendencies or trends. But still, overall, an artist should have a better sense of their identity and their representation. The second question is, why you? Not the school, you know what I mean. But what makes you unique, Monique? There is a podcast and a whole course that I like to listen to and follow called Music Marketing Manifesto. But someone whose name sounds like Ferris Jaka or something like that. No, I actually am very professional. I looked up his name. It's it's John Ojaka, but his last name is absolutely impossible to spell. And in one of the many shows... He discusses, he describes marketing as a unique selling proposition. That's the term he likes to use. Now, what makes you different? Why you? What stands out about you? To be blunt, you're just another musician. You're another person. You made another song. You sent us an email. You want us to hear your song. But why should I listen? I, I can feel like a lot of music consumers and listeners feel that way too. Okay, so... So-and-so released a single, and just yesterday, someone else released a single, and tomorrow, someone else will release a single, and sometimes it's the same arrangers and the same composers and maybe even the same song concept and a similar song name. It does happen sometimes. Not that everybody's interchangeable. I'm not implying that in any way, but how do we have the time? How are we able to discern who is worth it and who is not, who we should be excited about and who we should let pass It's very difficult. So what is your unique selling proposition? We figure out who your core essence is and what experience you offer for them. And when you know who your audience is, then you can create a better connection. You know what story to tell. Uh, Someone named Bob Baker, not Bob Barker, that's somebody else. But Bob Baker mentions in a music marketing podcast, how do they, the venues or the media, let's say, benefit by giving you exposure? Would they consider it a perk to have you and to promote you? Or would that be considered a pest? And why should we, the fans, be excited for this single or this upcoming show? I get a kick out of people on singing competitions who talk about how they've been singing since they were two. And the parents say, oh, they've always singing in the shower. That's nice for you. But what does it have to do with us? How does that show that you're talented? How does that show that we would connect to you and that we would want to be longtime fans and advocates of you just because you love singing? I'm not sure what that even proves. So an artist has to find the right balance of how can your needs be met by simultaneously fulfilling other people's desires? Why would you interest listeners? I guess you can compare it to the two types of emails. It's like the generic email of, hey, check out my new song, which most people would say, no, thank you, versus a more dramatic email of how this song personifies my life story and my comeback and what many people are feeling right now and can relate to, etc. Now, I realize that the extreme would be to vomit all over people's inboxes with these theatrical sob stories, which most likely wouldn't be very popular either. Obviously, there needs to be some sort of balance, which is another topic which I'm sure we will touch on in future episodes. Bob Baker, who I mentioned before, refers to this as connection versus 
bombardment. It may be a subtle difference, but oh boy, is there a difference. Ultimately, you are hoping to inspire and entertain, and the fans should feel that they are part of your tribe. They should feel proud and excited to be a part of something, not just someone else on the email list. And more on the topic of being unique and knowing who you are, I once heard from a woman who is a job coach that often when people are applying for jobs, they're trying to network for themselves, they like to say that they can do whatever comes up, you know, in response to what they're looking for, the type of position or role they're looking to fill in any particular company or industry, they say that they're open to anything. Now, I understand the reasoning that these job seekers in an effort to maximize their appeal and also out of fear of voluntarily closing doors on themselves, they want to portray themselves as flexible that they are so super compliant and low maintenance, such easygoing employees. Look how versatile they are. But this woman says that this is often to their disadvantage. The company wants to know what value you bring to them and how they can best utilize you for their own benefit. But if you don't even know what is unique about you and how you stand out amongst your peers and contemporaries, then how are these potential employers supposed to figure that out for you? It seems like a similar concept in pursuing music and when trying to acquire fans. If you don't know what is interesting about you and what makes you not just another singer or just another person that plays guitar, then the thousands of strangers who you are trying to lure in as followers and advocates of yours certainly won't know what is interesting about you. So it is certainly essential and critical for you to know what is unique about you and what you have to offer. The third Thing was what you were trying to accomplish and that we've mentioned in the past more about your vision and what you what your dream is if let's say finances were not a factor and and part of your relatability factor so as as we're working on trying to make these budding Jewish music personalities more as people and we get to get a sense for them, oh, this guy's a, you know, a family man, I can relate, uh, something about their personality that they're just not another singer, they're not just another composer, but perhaps they have some sort of chain, something special about them that would cause us to link to what they're trying to sell, whatever their product is. Artists have become part entrepreneur, part marketing strategist, and part comedian and or motivator and or influencer as they strive to be relatable and accessible, emotional and real. They demonstrate how they're genuinely fun-loving, they're genuinely Jew-loving, and they're genuinely Israel-loving. And I'm sure there are. I'm not mocking them. They're versatile, they're so easy to root for, and oh, they're also at your kitchen table entertaining your kids with the newest video, maybe even as we speak. And I even marvel sometimes how people even have any time to release new music when they're so busy with so many other things that are going on. Hmm. So here come a few questions, and I'd love it if my lovely fan base can help me out with some of these. Question number one. With so many talented individuals clamoring for our attention, how do aspiring artists, and even established artists, to be honest, get the recognition they not only desire but even require in order to sustain success and prolong their careers. Well, there is the approach of be seen, be seen, and be seen to make sure that you are noticed as often as possible in as many ways possible by as many people possible so that you are, on, so that you are constantly relevant. But with so much noise, is the solution simply to be noisier 
I don't know. What do you guys think? Another question. There's a business model of prioritizing the satisfaction of your current loyal customers and ensuring that you maintain your fan base before branching out to what may be out of your niche or out of your market. Tafasta Maruba, low tafasta, is a real concept. But is that approach wise or even applicable here? I don't know. What do you guys think? Another question. Some who are trying to sell a product in a variety of industries are looking to increase their conversion rate first and foremost before merely increasing the quantity of ad spots or the quantity of site visits, let's say. The math is that if, let's say, one out of every 100 people who go to this website buy the product, now in some industries that could be fine. And so instead of making one out of 100 into two out of 200, which will become five out of 500, really the ratio is staying the same, it's preferable to make one out of 100 into two out of 100, into five out of 100. That is not, the, not about the breadth of people who are familiar with you, but it's the amount of loyals and diehards that you've acquired. That within your market and specialty, how many of your target customers can you convert into actual customers? Reel in the bites before trying a different river. But perhaps the Jewish music industry is already such a close-knit community and such a niche market to begin with that practically everyone is a target customer. There isn't anyone out of your market, and all potential fans and followers are equally valuable and equally exchangeable and equally substitutable so that these rules and strategies aren't as applicable here. I don't know. What do you guys think? Singers, composers, arrangers, producers, musicians, all of these talented, ambitious individuals are encouraged to utilize a variety of means and mediums to relay their messages and promote their brand, and that's great. But are these mediums and platforms just a more sophisticated way of pedaling around with a cart, announcing, caps for sale, 50 cents a cap? I don't know. What do you guys think? Knock, knock. Who's there? Bayomha. Bayomahu. Bayomahu is the Audi today, featuring Gershon Varoba and Ari Goldweg, composed by Guess Who. Here is one of my favorite songs, Bayomahu. I'm Simcha, and I can't wait to see you all soon.
Show. 